we have two big milestones coming up for the show. And this is kind of exciting. First of all, episode 500 is precariously close. Oh my. Yeah. And just doing the math, we're almost at 10 years of the Unplugged program. Oh my goodness. What? Yeah, we're sitting at 9.5 years right now. In August-ish, 10 years. Isn't Holy that, what? Isn't that something? To me, this is still like the new show. I feel old. Yeah, well, you feel old. <laughs> to me, this is the show I started to read email from Linux Action Show, hey. and I just needed a place. Well, come on, dude. Like, I started my professional career at the same time that LUP started. Whoa. Well, now I feel old. <laughs> friends and welcome back to your weekly linux talk show my name is chris my name is wes and my name is brent hello gentlemen coming up on the show today is high performance remote desktop like an oxymoron is it even possible and is it doable on wayland well today we'll talk about moonlight and sunshine and share some tips that you might use for years where it's worked for us and where it's fallen down and up first we'll talk a little backups with brent get an update on what he's been working on, getting all that kind of going. And then we'll round it out with some great boosts and picks and a lot more. So before we go any further, let's say time-appropriate greetings to our virtual lug. Hello, Mumble Room. Hello. Hello. Aloha. Hello, everybody. Great to have you there. And those of you up there in the quiet listening. And then this is pretty exciting. We have converted a virtual lug to an IRL lug. Casey's here. Hey, Casey. Hello. Hey, welcome in studio. Thanks for joining us. In the red seat. Yeah, it's actually Levi's seat you're in right now. I, I'm I'm sure he can fight me for it. Uh, he tried when I walked in the door, and he'll he'll probably try again in the future. <laughs> he'll just turn those big eyes up, you know. Yeah, <laughs> he does that. Also, I want to say good morning to our friends over at Tailscale. Tailscale.com. Tailscale is a mesh VPN protected by WireGuard. It's so slick. All your machines talking directly to each other. Go try it out. We love it. It's going to change your networking game. VPNs? <laughs> no, I use Tailscale. Go say good morning. Try it out for free for up to 20 devices at Tailscale.com. Tell me sent you. Tailscale! So episode 500 is just around the corner. It sort of boggles the mind, and we had to do a little get-together to celebrate. So we're going to have a little micro-meetup Saturday, March 4th at 4 p.m., and we have the meetup page up. If you uh, go to meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting, it's going to be at the 192 Brewing Company in Mount Vernon, Washington. And I expect it to be kind of an intimate gathering. I, I, I hope everyone is in the area is able to make it. But of course, I understand if you can't. Brent's going to be there. Wes is going to be there. Casey, I hope you're going to be there. Of course I will. And uh, we'll be uh, having some brewskis, some snacks and some drinks. It should be a lot of fun. I think we got about five or six people so far. It's not going to be a huge thing. Yeah, I'm just realizing I hadn't joined the meetup yet either, so I'm fixing that right now. Well, there you go. Get signed up. And it's just kind of a nice way to kind of reflect on the last nearly 10 years of the show, hang out with the listeners. If I could, you know, I'd be doing some ginormous, huge meetup somewhere in the center of the country or something like that, if, I, if we could actually pull that off. But this is what's within our means right now. Uh, yeah, I thought we were going to do that all expenses paid Hawaiian yeah. meetup. <laughs> yeah, big, yeah, for episode 500, right? right? You can justify it for 500 episodes. How rare is that? I do really feel like 500 episodes is pretty special, though. 
you know, in in that sense, because not only is doing something for 10 years every single week kind of rare, uh, but having a any kind of media content last for this long feels super, super rare. So uh, I'm going to mention that uh, I'm going to start collecting uh, thank you or congratulation messages if you do want to send them in for episode 500. And I do have a special boost amount that I came up with. For doing the show for 9.5 years, if you want to have a message that I'll collect and set aside for episode 500, boost in with the amount 9,529. That's uh, how old our podcast is, 9.5 years. And uh, you can also come up with your own amount. Whatever numerology works for you, just make it clear that it's for the uh, 500th episode. Uh, can I get that amount one more time? Yeah, sure. It is 9,529 sats. And that I'll tag all of those for reading in episode 500. I'm curious about the 29 portion of it. Can you give some? Insight I think it works there? out to the that when the when Hadi and I were doing the math, that worked out to like the days, oh, 9,529 days or something like that. It, I, I I forget now. I was trying to come up with something that I could clearly mark as for episode 500. I guess you could do 500,000 sats. I'd memorize that too. That's pretty. Easy to <laughs> uh, you know, and it could be also a great opportunity. For a behind-the-scenes type question, if you've been listening to the show and you've wondered about how something works or uh, anything wants to follow up on or anything kind of like a production question. What is Brent's real name? Right, mm, right. Never uh, know. Yeah. How did we meet Brent? How does the, why does JB have a studio? I mean, I don't know what your questions might be, but you could send them in. Does the studio exist? Is there a studio? Is Wes a robot? Is, well... Yeah, I mean, do we want to reveal that secret? Well, That's one of our trade secrets. Maybe at 1,000. Are you saying you won't answer the questions truthfully? I mean, that question? That's like the one question we can't answer for some reason. I As mean, an he, AI chatbot, it'd be inappropriate for me to... Yeah. Yeah, there's certain things that right we don't want to touch on, you know. But yeah, if we make it to 1,000, we could talk about the Westbot AI. Um, so you can send those in now if you'd like for the 500th episode. We'll be collecting those. You know what? The other thing I thought about is... We have tens of thousands of new listeners over the last few months. And there's got to be questions they have about the show because there's stuff we don't even talk about anymore that's just sort of baked into the show. So if you're a new listener, too, and you have some questions that we haven't touched on, that's a great opportunity to send them in. All right. So meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting for the meetup and uh, 9,529 sats if you wanted to automatically get categorized as a 500th episode boost. But Brentley... Why don't we shift gears and talk about backups here on the show? Because this is a topic that we keep bringing up and we've started behind the scenes, kind of doing some of the work. And you have been deep diving into Borg, Vorta, that whole ecosystem and have raised some great questions. Yes. Thanks, Chris. I realized during our discussions these last few months about backups that my situation was actually worse than I, I thought. So I, I figured, OK, well, I, I should probably heed the advice of listeners and so I chose Borg as a more modern way of moving towards doing backups for a Brent. And actually, it's been pretty great. Uh, it has been with Vorda's GUI, uh, really great to use. It was a little bit of work to get it set up, but not anything daunting. Chris, I think you had hesitations when I chose Borg, but actually it's been fairly good. And I know you can use something like Restic is a common, you know, Borg alternative. So if, if you're thinking of upgrading your backups, uh, I would definitely suggest looking at it. But some things that started coming to mind as I was setting this up was, which I often suffer from, is like implementing solutions that are actually are quite outdated. Like, is this so 10 years ago? 
and I'm coming new to a backup solution that's maybe 10 years old. And I got thinking that because we've been dabbling with more modern file systems, you know, things like ButterFS and ZFS, and they have send functions that do a lot of what Borg and Restic, for instance, do in the back end, which is some deduplication, uh, some compression of your data. And that got me thinking, well, is it time to move to using these file systems as the backup solution, especially locally, versus using something purpose-built like Borg or Restic? And I, I don't really know if I have that answer. So I wanted to bring that conversation here and see what we can come up with. I kind of feel like this is a, a deep question. Are we using backup tooling that was created before file systems solve some of these problems? And so they are doing some of the same functions that your file system could do. And I think the implication there, and I think this is where maybe it might resonate with you, Wes, the, the implication there is you could just build simple tooling on top of the file system and avoid a lot of this complexity if you just use modern file systems and modern tooling. Where do you land on this? Well, I suppose it depends on, you know, one of the advantages of a, a sort of third-party system is bring whatever stuff you have, right? So it, Compatibility, need... then, across different functionalities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly, and fewer upfront sort of assumptions about how you're going to set things up. And I think maybe Brent had run into some some potential issues, like you you just need more sort of upfront architecture to get it right. You need to be able to make sure that you have the, you're able to use those file systems in all the places that you want or come up with a a method for sort of retrieving and ingesting those files into mm -hmm. the file system from other third-party sources that mm -hmm. can't use it or something. Mm -hmm. Or what about for the sake of argument, though? Let's say it's like Brent, me, or you, where we could, in theory, use the same file system everywhere. So you could assume either ZFS or ButterFS is omnipresent in all these systems. Is it worth building this entire orchestration of backup management software when you could just maybe do a ZFS send and send the data somewhere else and back it up that way. Like you get where, what I'm worried about, I think what, what Brent touched on that really made me kind of think about this was, is, oh, oh, oh yeah. Am I, am I just duplicating effort here? Yeah, I suppose so. But, um, I think it depends on what kind of flexibility you want. Do you have a backup system when you're running a big old, uh, array or are you, you know, as a, as tiny points out here in the matrix room, you know, file system backups to something like ZFS or ButterFS, you got to have like a, you know, a NAS or a cloud system or something that's running that versus a lot of these other systems can back up to stuff like object storage. Yeah, that's true. Or Backblaze or mm -hmm. Tarsnap or something like that. Now, hmm. there are stuff, right, especially for ZFS, there are, you know, hosts out there where you can just send them, you know, you can ZFS send to them. So there's middle grounds here. And it just like, are you comfortable with those tools? Do you like that? Does it meet your needs? Uh, I know like Butterback seems like it's got a lot of, a lot of this stuff sort of figured out, so that's pretty tempting. Brent, what I, I think Brent should try it personally. Butterback? Well, just, you know, going down the file system route to, just to see, like, what are the ergonomics? How do you like it? How well does it work when you are in a similar, like, remote situation? Because that's the only way you're going to really know. Well, I will um, admit to having tried to solve this question for myself this last week or two, and um, <laughs> especially with Butterfest. I'm not uh, that well-versed in ZFS yet. I will get there. I will get there. But um, I've been trying ButterFS and trying to get that to work in the similar ways that we've been mentioning, using even, Wes, what you mentioned, Butterback, which seems like the suggested standard for doing automated backups with ButterFS send and receive. And I've been struggling. I, you know, I'm just trying to do this on my local network first to try to get it to work. And then I'll test the remote stuff later. 
but I've, I've really been struggling to even get it to work once. Um, a lot of the tutorials that I've found for ButterFS send and receive especially have been just to a local mounted drive. And so not very much stuff over the network, which seemed kind of strange to me. I have looked and looked and looked and the best documentation I could find for accomplishing such a thing was actually the Butterback documentation, which is excellent and very in-depth. And even following that, um, I just haven't quite gotten to a successful path. And so that's why I thought to bring that conversation here is I'd like to solve this. It seems pretty cool to use your file system to accomplish a lot of the things that these backup systems have been doing because like it's there, it's going to do it anyways, whether you want to or not, if you have it set up. So, but I have had a hard time implementing it. And I thought, geez, isn't that a shame? There's, there are all these features that it seems like should be fairly straightforward. And so I feel like maybe I'm just missing something obvious, or maybe someone has some hints for me. If, if, if you do, please send them in linuxunplugcom slash contact. Well, maybe we need to know like what, what went wrong? What have you tried? Where did you, and where did you, where did it not connect? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think many of my issues have come from two places. One of them is with using SSH and requiring some super user permissions um, on either end. And so there are some there's some advice to enable things like root logins. And thankfully, they say, eh, you probably shouldn't do this. But if you just want to get up and going really quickly, you could do that. Mm-hmm. So there, there is some advice out there on how to solve the SSH problem. And then the other s- problems I see- seem to be having is mismatches in ButterFS structures. Like OpenSUSE has their kind of way that they like to organize snapshots and things on the file system. And I'm trying to back up to, you know, an Ubuntu system that has ButterFS. And it seems like there's a small disconnect there, at least in Butterback. I've found some evidence that they haven't quite implemented the ability to do root level file system backups the way that OpenSUSE does. And so there's there's just a lot of little weird gotchas that I've been running into that I, uh, to be honest, didn't really expect. And I was curious for those who have successfully run this kind of stuff, like, uh, am, I the, uh, am I holding up to my title of just running into all these little strange edge cases? Well, no, I think you're running into uh, a, a lot of the pain points when you have mixed systems. Um, I want to, you know, so what I see here, Brent, are, are really two questions is, is it a backup system that has reporting and error management? And I, I guess what I'm trying to say is logging. Is that what maybe is best for you? Or is it using the primitives and building your own tooling around that, which would be like the file system snapshots, be it ButterFS send or ZFS send? Um, I think that's your core question here. And I think for me, it feels like I would be worried about becoming a slave to the tooling. Mm-hmm. I, I would be worried that, to get to my data, I first have to go set up a Borg backup system, and then I can get to my data. And when I need my data, I want it right then. I don't want anything between me and my data. And that's honestly what's just great about TAR and, and things of, the, of like that nature is it's really just kind of built into the system and kind of you build the tooling on top of that that you need. So we're shipping Brent a tape drive? Well... I honestly, I wish tapes were more accessible and and more reasonable because I actually think it's still a very good backup medium. I mean, you kind of joke, but 
It's ton of it's a ton of storage. There's a lot of software that still works great with it. I I love tape backups. I just don't have it as like an accessible option because whenever you get to the kind of storage I'm looking at, which would be 30 plus terabytes, it gets really expensive. Well, Chris, I will say that my hesitation to adopt any of these like more modern backup systems has been exactly what you mentioned, which is, you know, I've been on the path of learning more Linuxy stuff and I I'm having a ton of fun with it. But in the past, I always wanted to make sure that no matter which system, you know, if I was just booting up a live environment, I could just access that backup data because maybe I'm traveling and I have this backup drive with right. me and I, and, yes. and it's that point yes. where everything's going wrong and you just need to yes. get the one thing done. Right. And so there's been something really attractive about that. And so that's what kept me on, on solutions like using our snapshot, for instance, which just uses our sync on the back end and helps you automate some our sync snapshotting, which does use hard links to do deduplication It's not perfect because there's a lot of things wrong with it, but it's been good enough up to this point. But the audience has convinced me that I can do better. And so I thought, well, I got to look at some of these more modern ways of doing things. Cause, cause come on, why am I doing it? Like a caveman over here. I mean, it is embarrassing. We I mean, don't want to say anything. I would but... say like a uh, consistency is nice though. So like yeah. one plus to be in, if you say like a 10 year old backup system, that's a good track record yeah. of just... And when it's, you're talking your data. Because yeah. I think it's easy to over-optimize sometimes, you know? And like, mm-hmm. But like, if, if it works, if it meets your needs, it's whatever. It, it can deduplicate up to the amount that matters for you. Or it, you know, it has the set of features that for your particular case you need. That and, might be worth it. And you successfully can and have recovered data. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, you know how it works. You like It's, yeah. it's yeah. easy to return to and you're happy to know. You, it's easy to understand mm-hmm. six months down the road. There's that too. So Brent, you're overthinking the whole thing. But I'm having fun. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, no, no. That's that, That's all fine and good. Like, so your, your underlying problem is that you can't figure out how to reliably uh, move Butterfist snapshots from one system to the other and then look at them later for recovery purposes, right? So... All you have to do is just put it in a, like when you do a ButterFS send and receive over the wire, you can just on the receiving side, just put it in its own folder and the entire hierarchy will just be isolated that way. That's how I actually do my backups is like I have an archive drive, um, which is a little portable um, SSD and it has a folder representing each computer name. And I just put the whole hierarchy inside of each folder in there. And that makes it so whenever I want to go look at it, I can just like go into the hierarchy, take a look, and uh, I can see the whole setup as it was. If I want to bring it back onto the system, I can reverse migrate it by doing a send from there back to the root hierarchy of the computer I want to move it to at any point in time or even into a subdirectory so I can just pull some of the data out or just look at it and copy files or whatever. Some In this case, simpler is better, and I have way too many systems with different configurations to worry about any of that stuff. Well, I think that's pretty good advice, Neil. And I did think of you often as I was playing with this. It's like, what would Neil do? Neil avoids all the weird tools because it's just not worth it. Well, but I think one aspect that maybe you missed in my description was that um, it sounds like, from what I gather from your system, that you're using a, a USB drive and you just kind of plug it in and then you ZFS send to it and then you unplug it and that's your backup. And that's fairly straightforward, I think. What I'm trying to accomplish is doing that over the network, which I've been struggling with and haven't seen very... It's same principle. Yeah. I just can't get it to work. It's a funny thing, eh? <laughs> The thing, the reason I don't do it over a network is at home, I don't actually have a desktop computer worth backing up. Uh, all of my computers are mobile. And so it like 
network-based backup falls apart really quickly in that scenario. Now, when I was at, at, at uh, my previous job, I had a lot of stationary computers with good network access that I needed to back up. And in that scenario, um, I just made a disk that was iSCSI mountable and then did that. Because if you, if you mount a disk over the network and that disk is formatted ButterFS, you're done. Also, even if you don't want to do this, another pro tip, if you if all you have is NFS, you can also just send and receive the other side as a file. You can send a ButterFS stream and capture it as a file. And that that file can then be catted and replayed back anywhere to restore it as a ButterFS subvolume. Yeah, it makes it makes it quite flexible as we're seeing, right? Right. You just gotta you gotta just shuffle those bytes across systems some way or another. <laughs> Doesn't matter how it sounds like. You know, like our friend Netcat. <laughs> Netcat. You, if you're doing it over the net, if you're doing it over the network, like there's a couple of ways to do it. You can, or yeah, like the Netcat way would also work, but <laughs> that's just too much. That's just too much Unix for my blood. Oh man, Wes. <laughs> but like when you're sending a ButterFS send stream over the network, you can do it with uh, a TCP connection through Netcat or whatever, um, or an HTTP stream, some other wrapper terminal, whatever. On the other end, you can either receive it as a file, or if the other end has a ButterFS disk, you can receive it that way. The cheap way, which is the way I did it, was I just mounted the disk over the network directly as a network block device. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I formatted the network block device as ButterFS, mounted it on every system, and then just did the normal ButterFS send and receive. There's a lot of different ways to do this. Probably the simplest way for you to do it is to, uh, if you don't want to do the whole trick of like tunneling over a network to uh, another computer, is set up a network block device and mount it remotely and make sure that block device has ButterFS on it. And then you can just do send and stream as if it was local, even though it's over the network. That's the easiest cheese way to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe the easier way would just be to not make any data that I need to back up. Brentley, Brentley, stop it. <laughs> stop Delete it. your photos. Jeez. Delete them. There is no such thing as data you don't want to have backed up. <laughs> I feel like I'm in a room with friends. I have worked at a backup company for eight years. That makes you biased. Yeah. Trust yep. me when I say there is no such thing as data you don't want to have backed up because you're going to regret it no matter what if you don't. Linode.com slash unplugged. Go there to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account, and it's a great way to show your support for the show while you're checking out the Linux Geeks Cloud. They got 11 data centers today, and they're expanding to a whole bunch more, another dozen this year, plus some other really cool plans. They got it. They got it figured out. Like, they've got a massive, massive rollout coming up this year. It's really exciting. I'll talk more about that as it gets closer. They've been really doing this for a long time, and so if you like to build it yourself or if you want one-click-type deployments, they can accommodate whatever level you're comfortable at. They have excellent options. And at every level, the performance is incredible. You guys know me. You know me. I wouldn't be hosting all of Jupiter Broadcasting stuff at Linode unless it was super fast. And they've been rolling out screaming fast upgrades the entire time I've been a customer. They don't just sit still. And I really think that after you use it for a minute, you'll see why we love it so much. When we use it for projects, just when we want to try something out, if it's something for like a personal thing, I'll, you know, I'll spin up like a kid's Minecraft server. Or if it's something that we want to withstand thousands of people downloading files simultaneously. We choose Linode every single time. And after you've been using it for a little while, you'll also like the features like the API, 
things like their S3 compatible object storage, cloud firewall, super fast networking, just all kinds of things. And every now and then you'll just be working along inside Linode and that Linux culture, you get a feel for it. You see it, it's baked into the product. It's in the DNA of the product. I think it puts them just above everybody else, especially the hyperscalers that want to lock into their crazy platforms. Go try a better way to do things, either a DIY way or a one-click deployment type way. Whatever you're comfortable with, try it out at Linode and see what I've been talking about. So let's put it over the top. Let's go get that 100 bucks, support the show, and then you can really kick the tires. Linode.com slash unplugged. That's where you go. You try it out, you get the 100 bucks, and you support the show. It's Linode.com slash unplugged. All right, so... When I decided here in the studs that we were going to deploy Wayland on our new systems, you were, uh, you would, you know, accept nothing less. Yeah. Set you a know, high bar. bar. The bar was so high, Wes. It was so high. Um, you know, the one thing I never considered, I thought about all these other aspects like OBS and all that, but I never considered remote desktop control. It's sometimes you want to not be in the studio. Yeah. Take yourself a little break. I like to go out into the woods from times to times. And um, I kind of had this problem solved for a hot minute on GNOME using GNOME's new built-in RDP server. Right. Weren't you using that with Dylan's laptop? Yeah. and that worked with Wayland. However, here in the studs, we went with Plasma. And there's no RDP server. Well, we'll get to that. Um, and we got a note from several of you out there that said essentially, hey, guys, you got to try out Moonlight. Moonlight is really slick. And Moonlight, you can think of it as basically, it lets you build your own Google Stadia. It's really focused on gaming. The idea being that it is an open source implementation of NVIDIA's game stream protocol. And the Moonlight project implemented that protocol that's used by the NVIDIA Shield, and they have wrote a set of third-party clients for it. So you have Moonlight, which is the streaming client. And then you need a streaming server. And that's the that's the system whose like desktop or application you would be controlling remotely. Yeah, your host. Mm. Yeah. And so Wes and I found Sunshine. It was also sent into the show a couple of times. And Sunshine is a game stream host for Moonlight. So you've got Moonlight, which is the client, and Sunshine, which is the server. Well, isn't that cute? Yeah. And Sunshine is a self-hosted game stream for Moonlight. And it focuses on low latency. It focuses on hardware encoding. Software is available, though. And those things all check the box with me. And, of course, it's Wayland compatible. It provides a web UI once you get the, the service up and running, a web UI that you can configure a few things. It's available as a native package for a lot of popular distributions. And it's available as a flat pack. Oh, oh. And an app image, actually. So it's easy to get. Which is, I mean, kind of something you want in this kind of technology. Yeah, for the most part. There are a variety of Moonlight clients that are available, including mobile, Pixel, iOS, you know. Mm. Um, and, of course, there's a Moonlight client for the Linux desktop. I was, uh, I was looking for something that we could use in an X11 and Wayland world that we live in. And I'm looking for something that could work over a pretty intermittent connection when I'm remote. And so uh, my setup was a couple of machines. All of them have tail scale on them. So I didn't need something that would do any kind of internet proxy or routing. It'd just be basically, yeah, your, your flat mesh network. Yeah. And 
I think it was what after last week's episode, you and I were like, "Hey, let's try to get let's see if we can get it working on the OBS machine." The OBS machine that we have here in studio, we decided to do it in hard mode. So it's NixOS with Plasma Desktop with Wayland and Pipewire. So it's like making it really easy on ourselves, aren't we? We're just basically running all the latest and greatest Linux technologies, so that way we can sit here and tell you about it, and you don't have to. Man, does that make it hard to just snap into any kind of management system like Rust Desk, for example. I love Rust Desk. Which we were pre- previously had running on all the machines. Yeah, but it only works with X11. And uh, I don't think they have any intention of supporting Wayland. So we set it all up and we gave it uh, a week to bake to see what it's like. And so I've been trying it for the last week and I wanted to tell the audience my, my impressions so far. I'll run you down the setup. So you have all the machines that are all connected on Tailscale. They're running Moonlight on the clients, Sunshine on the servers. When you first connect to a Sunshine server, you have to exchange pin codes between the Moonlight client and the Sunshine server. You need to have access to that web UI to enter the pin code. This is already an immediate challenge because oftentimes I'm remote on a blank new system and I need to, without planning ahead of time it's sort of an unplanned thing comes up i need to connect into the studio system right you got to do this pin exchange so that meant i need to build infrastructure that allows me to remotely connect to the systems and exchange a pin code before i can even establish a remote desktop connection so you got to configure this entire thing to talk over tail scale so that way you can remote in add your pin to your local host to that you're going to be remoting into and then you can finally connect you do that over your first connection once you've exchanged pin codes, you can then just click on connecting. And, and the Sunshine server can give you a full desktop. It can give you a low-res desktop, and it can run applications directly as well. It'll also forward sound if you have all of the dependencies. Oh. So when you log in, you get remote sound. When you, and, and it is performant enough that I was at home on Starlink connecting into the studio systems and I could watch a YouTube video. I could play and pause it. I could watch the video. I had audio. The audio was in sync with the lips. Very impressed by that. That aspect of it worked really well. And the client will actually tell you, hey, your bandwidth's a little rough here. And you, there's a good amount of options. You can go in there and dial it down. Uh, like by the default, quality. it's using 60 frames per second. Like, that's a bit ridiculous, <laughs> right? For games, that's great. Right. But for desktop, <laughs> so I turned that down to 30 frames. I, I dropped it down to like four megabits or three megabits. And you can kind of fine tune that and get it right where you want. It is impressive, the performance. Uh, it's almost real time enough that you could use one of these remote clients as just your mouse and it would capture it. Here, here I'll play this for you guys. Okay, so here, let's look at the performance as I switch desktops. You can see it's, it's right on the money. And this is running on the iPad Pro. We have Moonlight here on the iPad Pro. And it just looks like a Linux box. Look at that. It looks like I'm just running Linux here. And I would say the performance is good enough that you could use this all day. It's almost right on the money so much that you could just use it as a mouse. And that's on Wi-Fi, you know, completely wireless. On Wi-Fi, on the iPad, over tail scale. That's a pretty good little test. Yeah, and it just is so smooth that you you could almost use it as the mouse if you if you needed to. And the fact that you could bring full applications through means you could bring like in our case our our recording applications through and I could check on that and it it's just so so smooth. The problem is 
there are so many little gotchas. Number one, you got to have your video acceleration dialed in. So I tried this, Wes. On, on the OBS machine, we don't have it all dialed in, and I was having issues. So I, you know, I love NixOS. I love it. So I broke the Intel video acceleration on my laptop and verified that the Sunshine server was not working. And then I fixed it by re-enabling video acceleration via the Nix config, reboot, and Sunshine works great. So it does need on Wayland hardware acceleration. You got if it's Intel, AMD, or NVIDIA, you can pick one, but you need to make sure it's all working because it will use hardware acceleration to render the desktop back to the client. And it just doesn't work without that. Does not work without that. So there are those types of things you have to sort out. It's not perfect. And there were scenarios where it was a little crashy depending on what I was doing. The reliability seems to be really pretty solid when you're game streaming. Like if you're just telling it to like pull a game from Steam and just stream that to you directly, or you want big picture mode, yeah, that seems really solid. When you're doing the whole desktop, there's just a lot of little edge cases that can cause the session to crash. It's usable, and it feels like it's a. It feels like I'm putting together a bunch of different pieces that I can build something with, and that it's worth spending more time figuring out. But I can't say it's a Rust desk replacement at this point. I just can't say that. It, it it needs more work than Rust Desk. Like Rust Desk, if you have all X11 systems, which I, I think most people probably would, you just install it and it's done. You know, with Wayland and Plasma and using Sunshine, they're all layers. That every piece of that stack has to be working right for all of this to work. And that's tricky sometimes. So it's not just like install a deb, get a, get a service running in the background, enter in a pin and you're done. It's more like make sure you have full video acceleration working. Make sure you've got all this stuff figured out. It's going to behave a little bit differently on GNOME or Plasma, depending on what your desktop environment is. And if you're on XFCE, there's probably some dependencies you're going to have to install before you even get mouse control, right? Like all these edge cases. You kind of got to plan around, design around making this work on your system. Yeah. But man, is it slick when it works, dude? It's so good. It's so fast. It's, it's totally like you could work all day in it. Here's what I think we should do for the studio. Here's my moment, moment of truth. I think we use Moonlight on a couple of the systems and Sunshine. But I think for the OBS rig, where it's like it has to work every single time, I think we build a Pi KVM. We set up Pi KVM connected to the OBS machine. And for this rig, until all of this stuff is a little bit further down the road, I think we go with something like Pi KVM. And I think that would be a lot more reliable. Plus, we have a Pi 4 that I took out of Lady Jupes that we could use for this. And then we would get full console access, regardless of what Wayland is doing or anything like that. That does sound like more fun. And then we could get the grub menu and we could actually roll back if something were to go wrong hmm. from a remote session. Does feel like we're maybe, you know, punting on the. Yeah. I think so. Well, I feel like it works for the Reaper computer and the Airmaster machine. But for the OBS machine, well, job one is something's wrong with our video acceleration because remember we tried the ARC for a bit, then we went back to the AMD. Something isn't right there. And I got to sort that out. I'm about to put the ARC in Airmaster though, so I'm going to have to figure it out there as well. So yeah, yeah, I support, uh, let's let's do both. Why not both, right? Why not? Let's get the Pi KVM going because A, like why not? That's yeah. just a, a nice thing to have around the studio for sure. And then, I don't know, maybe we can keep using the OBS machine as a test case to yeah. nail down our Wayland setup. Because we're going to need to solve that one way or another, right? How long are we going to stay on XFCE over here? 
not much longer. Basically, as soon as we have to reinstall. <laughs> and Pi KVM, you know, I think it is a good backup, right? Because you take a kit, you take a Raspberry Pi, ideally a Pi Four, and you hook it up, and then you have console access to that machine. And when we're remote, that could be really, 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 really valuable. And you know, in the meantime, we keep figuring out the rest of this stuff, and then maybe one day we just obsolete the need for a Pi KVM. But it's something I've wanted to try, anyways. Uh, you were digging around though. You did find some other threads that could potentially work, especially for like open source folks and whatnots. Yeah, it seem, seems, I don't know. There's like little, little threads around maybe KRFB support is slowly getting better. I see there was just something about hooking up Wayland key events, uh, just merged uh, within the last week or so. So hopefully out in a release sometime soon. So we may see kind of a built in remote desktop server into the plasma desktop, kind of like GNOME is doing. And it looks like there's some other options. There's WayVNC, which is a VNC server if you're using a WL Roots-based Wayland compositor. So, like a lot of things in Wayland, it's at the moment a little, a little fractured. Yeah, and you could pick your pick your own adventure at this point. There's WayPipe too, which is a proxy for Wayland clients, and it forwards Way Wayland messages. <laughs> easy for me to say, uh, and serializes those changes into a shared memory buffer, and then sends it over a socket. So WayPipe is something else. You know, like. Wes is saying there's there's some stuff here. Maybe one of these is the direction we'll go. But right now, the thing is, is Pi KVM just takes me completely off the box. So even if we need to get to the BIOS, we could do that with Pi KVM. And for the broadcast machine, that seems really useful. I sure hope we don't have to get to the BIOS. Yeah. <laughs> but if, you're right. If we're trying to get live and we need to monkey around the BIOS, something else has gone wrong. <laughs> <laughs> bitwarden.com slash Linux. Head over there right now and try it for free as an individual or get started with a trial for a team. It's really powerful in both settings. Bitwarden, straight up, it's the easiest way for yourself or a business to store, share, and sync sensitive data. And Bitwarden has all kinds of customized options, which you know I love, but enterprises as well, including things that work with your enterprise policies to adapt to your business needs. And Bitwarden vaults are end-to-end -end encrypted with zero-knowledge encryption. ZKE, my friend, zero knowledge encryption means there's no like metadata that leaks. The URLs aren't plain text, right? <laughs> it's not like little encryption with caveats. It's good stuff. In fact, they've recently just upgraded their encryption as well. They're always kind of iterating. Now, I say that in a layman's term, you know, you know how this stuff works, right? They're always making this better. They're always making it more secure. And just in February, they've been putting work into that to make sure that they have the strongest possible security for you and you combine that with a strong long complicated master password and you are cooking with gasoline as they say also another update that landed in february you can now log in with more devices so you can quickly log into bitwarden now without having to type in that long complicated master password if you want to log into like the browser extension or the mobile app or the desktop app you can use an already logged in authenticated mobile app or desktop app to do that authentication now I think that's really nice. I mean, I, I have my master password memorized, but I think this would make it more approachable to rotate my master password. And I think that is a great feature. Go try out Bitwarden, bitwarden.com slash Linux. See why Wes and I use it to manage our passwords, our two-factor codes, and other sensitive data like recovery keys and passphrases for certain applications that require that. And the Bitwarden account switching makes it easy to move between a personal account and a work account or a personal account and an open source project. I really like that. That means I can keep work and play separated. Bitwarden just keeps getting better. Go try it out and support the show. Bitwarden.com slash Linux. Head there right now. 
Try it out for yourself or for a team at bitwarden.com slash Linux. We got some great feedback again this week. Thank you, everyone who wrote in linuxunplugcom slash contact if you want to send us a note. We did get a note from Mark Pearson, who's a technical lead for the Lenovo Linux PC program, and uh, he was trying to help Chris with all of his Wi-Fi issues. Chris, do you have any more details on this? Yeah, Mark wrote into the show and was asking just some clarifying questions about the Wi-Fi woes that I talked about last week. You know, I never even thought about it as a ThinkPad issue. I don't think it is a ThinkPad issue, but you got to give credit to Mark and the team over there. They want to look into this and figure out what was going on there. And uh, also, I believe Bark was one of the folks responsible for some of the plumbing with some of this power management stuff. So uh-huh. I'm planning to chat with him more. Mark writes, Mark, I love you. Thank you for writing in. But man, do you write some long emails. And a guy is, has a super hard time getting through his inbox. But you're special. And I'm going to try to get back to you. He wants some more information about, uh, it's, it's cute. He asked what kernel I'm running. <laughs> like I'm not running the most recent <laughs> kernel. Whatever the release kernel is, Mark, that's what I'm running. But. Um, you know, <laughs> I understand most people aren't like that. Like the moment 6.2 comes out, I'm installing that, right? Like the moment. So anyways, I will get back to you, Mark, and try to follow up on that because uh, why not have some more eyes on it? And maybe you and I can have a conversation in the future, Mark, and we'll kind of uh, bring some broader understanding about how some of this power management stuff works because it sounds like it's uh, it's more complicated than I realized. It sucks is what it is. <laughs> I talked to Mark on a somewhat regular basis because he uh, we work together in the fedora project on the thinkpad enablement stuff and like yeah he's fantastic to work with and i really do appreciate him coming in and 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 putting himself you know in front of everyone for all this kind of stuff because it really does help make linux on the desktop even better and i know i don't know if mark is gonna hear this but thank you so much for doing this and we love having you in fedora to help us make this better here here i was really I'm not blown away is a bit of an exaggeration, but I was really impressed that Mark was listening and reached out and, and he wants to replicate this and, and test these Wi-Fi things. And uh, I never even thought of it uh, as something that should concern the ThinkPad team. But the fact that they want to take this on and try to get ahead of it is a great sign. We got some more feedback in, some from Kevin saying, I caught the mention of the Linux Unplugged episode 500 mini meetup that's going to happen on March 4th. And I'm excited to head down to Mount Vernon. I moved to Bellingham recently from Bozeman last October after spending the summer in our van full-time visiting family on the East Coast. Wait, wait, what? You, uh, okay, I know. Hold on. So uh-huh. this guy's this guy's a hashtag van life. Yep. And you move from Bozeman to Bellingham? Don't you know most people are going the... Doing it backwards, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, boy, Kevin, you got to flag me at the uh, meetup and tell me all about this. This is... I want to I know more. Kevin continues, uh, I've listened to JB for a handful of years now, and I've been... It's been awfully strange hearing the overlaps with Bozeman in particular. During the build-out phase of my van was also when you began discussing AM Solar, and I ordered associated equipment, except panels and batteries, from them exclusively. So thanks for the tip, Chris. I'll be headed down solo to the meetup, and this will be my first ever Linux-related meetup or event. It feels weird to be in the position of being so familiar with you all, but not vice versa. Regardless, I'm looking forward to exploring the area that hasn't been at the top of my to-do list. Well, um, this area is fantastic. If you're in Bellingham, though, you're already experiencing some great Pacific Northwest. Just wait. 
wait till the spring, my friend. It's going to really blow your socks off. Um, Kevin, we have so much to chat about. This is really exciting. <laughs> Looking forward to seeing you. Yeah. Kevin also offered uh, to help with any in-person projects as they're really close now. So that's a little bit of value for value offering. I I honestly think we have a core group of listeners because, you know, the thing about this show is we have listeners everywhere now. But it's spread out around the entire world. And so when you think about people in our area, it's like a solid dozen <laughs> in our really core area that are within a driving distance for the day. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's 50 that are within, maybe it's more, but from what I've perceived, it's about 50. Maybe it's, maybe, maybe it's a hundred. I don't know, but it's somewhere <laughs> it's, it's, it's a small number that are actually within a day's travel from the studio. So Kevin, I would love to see you at the meetup. Chris, in my area, I have a single listener who's within a day's <laughs> drive and it was great meeting up. And it's uphill both ways. Boost to Graham. We did get some boosts into the show, and uh, Dean L70 comes in with 60,000 sats. <laughs> I hoard that which your kind covet. Thank you, sir. He says, hello, team. Dean here from Geelong, Australia. I've been listening to Jupiter Broadcasting since it went independent about three years ago. I'd love to know how we showed up on your radar at that moment, Dean. He says, he goes on to say, I just wanted to let you know how much I've enjoyed your content, both on the Unplugged program and on self-hosted and office hours. Please keep up the good work and know you are all appreciated. Aww. Yeah, that's so sweet. Well, thank you, Dean. It's, uh, it's pretty great to hear, hear a check-in from Australia. I bet I got the pronunciation wrong of where you're from. So uh, if you want to correct me and also tell us how you heard about us three years ago when we went independent again. Again, I always have to caveat. We were independent for a, for a decade before that, but uh, that's a long story. Perhaps something people would like clarification on could be a good episode five hundred boost. Uh, <laughs> um, how do you guys think we say this next one? Alunhan. All right, all right. Fifty thousand sats. I mean, that's what matters to me, right? Keep the change, you filthy animal. Uh, I just joined pod the podcasting two dot zero world i switched from antenna pod to podverse which i find to be about halfway towards perfect podcast listening solution <laughs> yeah that's, yeah it's true i mean that it's a big job a podcast app is actually more work than i think i fully appreciated uh he notes he does have high standards the road ahead for podcasting 2.0 seems long and uncertain but i'm doing my part hmm. you know i think it depends on what slice of podcasting 2.0 you look at because I think things like transcripts and chapters and cast information, those are slam ducks. And I think the reality is, is that hosting platforms are going to want to add those features regardless. And instead of having to invent the thing from scratch, they're going to just adopt whatever the open source standard is. So there are certain things about podcasting 2.0 that to me feel like foregone conclusions. Like we see a lot of passion in our community around transcripts. Yeah. I think you could argue the boost stuff um, is probably the one that it's the biggest long shot. However, I'll save this for a future episode, but I was just reading a, a really hard to read blog post from an open source developer who's creating this library that's used by like 300 million people a month. It's got billions of downloads and they cannot afford to eat breakfast. And I think it's so silly that over here in podcasting, we've solved splits. I'm going to get a split. Wes is going to get a split. Brent, Drew, the network. We have splits built in. 
every time. I mean, it's just like we've solved this in podcasting. I wish we could figure out how to solve this in free software, but we'll get there. But I think first we have to pave the way in podcasting. I think it is the boost that have the longest shot, but I think it's also the most important thing that's going to have the biggest ramifications for free software and for content. So thank you very much for boosting in and doing your part. We really appreciate it. And then Where's My Cat comes in with some Grandpa Ducks, 22,222 sats. This old duck still got it. Uh, they write, hey guys, greetings from a Dutch guy living in Japan. Well, that's an interesting arrangement. I'm answering the request of boosting in our whereabouts. I'm using Linux as a daily driver at home and my work as a neuroscientist. It's great for efficient workflow and data analysis. Thanks for all the steady stream of amazing content. You've been motivating me to try new things. I am loving my Odroid server. That's great. This strange booster named Drew of Doom sent in 5,000 sats. How spooky. Since Chris has so much trouble pronouncing the open source NVIDIA driver name, I propose we pronounce it like the generation ship in the expanse. Chris, would you give us the pronunciation? The Navu. Aha. The Navu. You know, I like, I like, I like Drew's idea here, right? Like, uh, we just apply expanse lingo to everything, you know, like Beltaloda, you know, we just belter terms for everything. I think that's pretty great. Now, to give a little context, Drew of Doom is, is actually Drew, our audio editor, and uh, sent in another 5,000 sats saying, lol, I just sent myself three cents with that boost. <laughs> Coming in hot with the boost! I like that he's having fun with it. <laughs> Circular boosting. Deckbot boosted in with 2,000 sats. Yes, I appreciate the Steam Deck coverage. My colleagues game, but I don't. Their knowledge of Linux comes from the glorious reporting from LTT, so at times they ask me Linux questions. Having some awareness of the Steam Deck beyond It Runs Arch, by the way, makes me engaged and relevant. Thank you. Also, for the Mbox question, what about running Dovecot and Roundcube to interface with the archive? Ah, I think they're referring to a question we had about Mbox and trying to move that to an archive that was easily accessible over HTTP, if I remember. Yeah, that might just work. Worth a shot, anyway. M, how do you think? MB Kulk? Kulik? <laughs> Kulik comes in with 3,167 sats. Hello from New Hampshire, longtime listener from the Lunduke days. Here's all the sats I've gathered while using Fountain FM. I recently switched to Podverse. I find it suits me better. Now I just got to figure out this Albi thing. Yes, yes, indeed. Although Albi is fantastic. Albi is, is worth your time. Gene Bean comes in. It wouldn't be an episode of the Unplugged program without hearing from Gene Bean, 4,096 sets. To build on Brent's passing reference to a Zoom call, a key aspect of a distro being suited for new users, especially less technical ones, is that it can use the installers provided by a vendor from the vendor's website. For example, on Windows and Mac OS, I go to zoom.us and I follow the download link. Newer Linux users would tend to do the same. This is the main reason I suggest Ubuntu LTS-based distros for new people. It's a very real factor. Yeah, I've, I've uh, helped a bunch of new listeners move to a variety of Linux systems. And I've noticed that actually some Ubuntu suggestions, like Signal is a good example. You go to their website and they suggest you install Signal via a PPA. And I wouldn't call that especially user-friendly. Um, more so what I'm seeing these days is something like 
Flatpaks is just so much easier because it tends to also solve many of these little gotcha issues, you know? And so that's what I've been suggesting, and it's been pretty good for new years, new users. This feels like the one thing where app image does kind of have some logic is the idea that you just download something and run it because it's funny that Gene Bean mentions Zoom. Mm. How many times, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I have seen new users that literally do go to zoom.us and they download like an exe or a yeah. deb and it's not what do i do with this yeah you can double click it your system doesn't know it doesn't do anything i and and it's not just zoom it's kind of anything they don't even think about like software centers or package managers that is a really tricky thing uh, well though for what it's worth right like it depends on where the user is coming from if they're coming from the mac world their first instinct is to go to the software center on the system if they're coming from the Windows world, then their first instinct is to go to the, to the vendor website and go find it out. Very true. Even in the Windows world, people are increasingly using the software center that's built into Windows, the Microsoft Store. So, like, over the like the most recent Windows users I've bring, brought over to Linux, they're like, well, okay, so where's the software store? And it's like, okay, GNOME Software or, or Plasma Discover and call it a day. Maybe so that's like, better as Windows users get more familiar with an app store. Maybe that'll... Well, they're already familiar with it because that's how it works on their phone. So, like, just telling them, "Oh, yeah, we have a we have an app store. Just go here." It's like the phone that short circuits everything. Okay, I like that idea. It's like your phone; it's got an app store. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know how that works. If you want software, go here. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, call me if it doesn't have it. <laughs> Gene Bean comes in again with thirty thousand one hundred and eighty sats. Boost. Hello from Villarica, Georgia. Uh, this boost amount is my zip. Code. I kind of want to look that up real quick. Did you already look it up? No, but now we can spy on Gene Bean. Gene Bean, you are the best. Doxing yourself like that just to tell us uh, where you're at. You, sir, are a sweetheart. Can you just put in zip codes to the old Google Maps or what? We're about to find out, I think. Yeah, you can, dude. You totally can. Look at that. So he's just about, uh, you know, east of Atlanta. God, Gene, that's great to know, actually. I legitimately do like to know that. I've, I've always wanted to be down there. I've always wanted to go down there. Also, he sends in a row of ducks to just do a plus one to the live stream Gen 2 party. I've oh. been thinking about that. <laughs> I've been thinking about that. We did promise such things. I've also got a PC that is impossible to install Linux on from a GUI. And I think I think I want to challenge you, Wes, to try to get NixOS booting on it. Because I, I know that you can fun. do it, I think. Yeah, all right. I'm in. Because uh, I think you and I have done it once before years ago. But like... Fedora, SUSE, Ubuntu, and NixOS with the graphical installer all fail to install on this system. Wow. It's it's a it's a copy of the old OBS system, but with like way more random disks in it that completely confuse all the installers. I think it'd be a lot of fun to see if we could get it going. You could also just do a kickstart if you wanted to bypass the GUI for at least Fedora. I mean, I know that's how he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna do it by doing a manual install of the command line. That's what's gonna be so much fun about it. <laughs> I mean, that's the fun way to do it. The reliable, easy way is to just use a Kickstarter and auto yast. <laughs> oh wants my that. gosh, you you old man hee haw me on this. That's how people do this. <laughs> Not old old man hee haw. Just uh, oh, we don't want it the easy option. No, we don't. Want no, that. no, no. But I do want to see him like do it the hard way, like go into a rescue environment, yeah. like actually format the disk, do the DNF install route to set it all up, and then just do the manual command way of doing it. I want to see someone do that. That would be great. That would be great. I mean, can we combine the two challenges and just do Gentoo on this thing? Oh, no, we can. We can. We could chew our bubble gum and walk at the same time. Don't you worry about that. Right. That is definitely we're going to have time. 
We're going to have time. It'll take forever, but it'll be fun. Yeah. The immunologist, the immunologist comes in with a row of ducks. And you know what? Let's go for it. That's right. And they say, I tribute my humble sats. My from, from, I assume, listening to the show. Keep up the great work. And then speaking of a row of ducks, the originator of the row of ducks, the golden dragon comes in with a row of ducks. Plus one for XFCE. Lightweight. It's user-friendly, and it's VM-swappable. Quite the tasty Linux experience. Yeah, there is some, there is some nice things about XFCE. However, <laughs> when I was trying to do all the Sunshine stuff and do everything in Wayland and whatnot, XFCE was like the one odd duck out the entire time because nice. like, I would go to remote in and, oh, I got to install this to make the mouse work. And then I would go try to use the keyboard. I got to install this to make the keyboard work. Like XFCE just didn't have that stuff ready to go. Well, we've got some more. Where you at? Booster boosts. First up from RGHVDberg, a row of ducks. Here's a row of ducks to help you guys get on the way to Cape Town. Cheers from the Netherlands. We got to do this Cape Town thing. This is sounding too too good. <laughs> <laughs> Another row of ducks, and uh, this is a special request here for the sound clip. I'm a duck, D-U-K duck, loaded with talent. That's from Patrick, and Patrick writes, listening to 497 right now, boosting a row of ducks from Lebanon, Tennessee. hey Thanks for the great show. And you get a duck sound clip, sir. And 2,000 sets from an anonymous booster who's listening from Toronto, Canada. Hey! Coming in hot with the boost! <laughs> One of your countrymen coming in with a little bit of support there. Yeah. Thank you, everybody who boosted into the show this week. If you'd like to boost in, uh, we would appreciate it. Of course, you could boost... From a new podcast app at newpodcastapps.com or don't switch apps. Just go get Alby, get Alby.com and then go over to the podcast index and send your boost into the show. And of course, don't forget, there is the LUP 500 boost amount, 9,529 sats for 9.5 years of the Unplugged program. You can send that in and uh, we'll collect all of those for episode 500. Thank you, everybody who does boost in new podcast apps. Dot com. You want to get yours in. All right. I'm searching my hard drive for some picks this week, and Wes Payne comes in with a couple of specials. Oh, it's just one. It's just two links for it. Oh, two links for one pick? Well, I just, Aren't you special? I just, well. wanted, I just wanted to use one of the links to point out that this pick is packaged in Nick's package. Oh. You know? so that, that's all. Okay. All right. Good. Very good. But our pick, pick this week is uh, written in Rust. It's known as the Static File Server, or SFZ. And nothing fancy. It's just a simple command line tool if you just need to serve some static files. You know, maybe you're trying to share some things. You need to get something off a server real quick. You just want to say, like, make this whole directory that I'm in available over HTTP with a friendly little GUI. So it just basically instantly takes a directory and makes a web page out of it. Yeah, exactly. But it supports directory listing, partial responses, uh, cross-origin resource sharing, which means it works great with the Chromecast, uh, automatic oh. compression built All right. in. All right. It respects gitignore files if you like don't want to share everything in the directory. So you could potentially use this as a way to expose a directory that has some video files over HTTP and then Chromecast it. Uh, I was just doing that this weekend. Brent and I uh, <laughs> were watching the original series episode, Balance of Terror, uh-huh. and uh, needed to both watch it. We'd found it, just someone had stashed it on one of those video sites online. That's, that's as quick and easy. It was all, 
kind of off the cuff. We had a little extra time. We were both alone to keep watching another episode. And I thought this would be fun. But it was kind of unreliable. You'd watch it there. And if you paused for too long, then the playback <laughs> kind of stopped. I thought, this is, this is too fuzzy. Let me just YTDLP it really quick. And then we can watch it that way. So <laughs> this was able to easily share that file with Brent so he could stream it from a better source. And then <laughs> at the same time, it meant that I could have my Chromecast just play from a reliable source and not right? have to worry about some like sketchy CDN stream. I always find it entertaining how Wes solves these problems. You know, these are always, the Wes solutions are always the best solutions. Yeah, I agree completely. And I will say watching, you know, esoteric videos on last minute with Wes is uh, very easy from my end and very entertaining in the process. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I bet. Yeah. You just get these weird links from Wes and you're like, all right, I'll click this, right? You know, I I was reflecting (laughs) on how there are like three people in the world where I'd click on any link they send me. I think it's Wes, you, right. Chris, yeah. and, and right. Alex, although he likes to troll me with a few Rick rolls from time to time. But <laughs> you're lucky, Wes, you're in that category because most other people I just wouldn't click. Yeah. I promise to respect that trust. You're right. And that's the thing. Don't break it. Don't break it. That's a special, special trust. Casey, you're right. Uh, Python, Ruby's also got one. There's handy sort of standard lib HTTP servers as well that you can run if you, uh, you don't have a... Uh, won't want to run some Rust binary on that system or if it's not available for your architecture. Yeah. Casey, thanks for joining us for the show, man. Yeah, glad to be here. Sorry I can't see you over there. It's there's okay. Like, there's like three monitors between me and him. I will verify he is over he there. He is over there, yeah. though? Mm-hmm. Confirmed. It's nice. I like the idea of having an in-studio audience, at least. I should just be holding a mirror? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that does wrap us up for this week's episode. Just one more until 500. Why not join us live uh, as they come and go? Pop in over at jupiter.tube on a Sunday. We do it at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. See you next week. Same bad time, same bad station. And of course, if you're feeling like you need more show, linuxactionnews.com. This week, we took a look back at 10 years of Steam and went back to the old Linux Action Show coverage of the Steam announcement. That was quite a trip down memory lane, plus covered a whole bunch of new stuff. linuxactionnews.com. If you're not catching it every week, you're missing what's going on in the world of Linux and open source. As for us, links to what we talked about today will be at linuxunplugged.com slash 498, as well as a bunch of other good stuff over. It's a website where we got links. It's so useful. You want to try that pick? There it is. It's right there linked. And I also, for just for Palmer Duckworth, we'll see you right back here next Sunday. She hadn't told me I was no longer allowed to bring the hammer into the studio after I had one microphone. <laughs> Wes, Wes, I don't care if the if the if the hammer gets you in the zone. I don't care. It's too expensive to replace these microphones every week. We can't smash them at the end of the show. Yeah, I have a little note here from the wife. Do you see this? This little sticky note I have here. Cute. Palmer Duckworth ordered some swag along like the coat of robe and I think a, a journal from JupiterGarage.com. And he had a note. In his checkout, he's like, uh, I love the show, except for I really miss the See You Next Sunday thing. Could you please bring Aww. back See You Next Sunday? Which was funny, right? But even funnier that my wife then 
wrote it down on a sticky note and then stuck it on I mean, the mixer here do it. in the studio to make sure <laughs> that I would say see you next Sunday. You know what? I'm going to keep it there for as long as we can. Just for you, Duckworth. You know, my brain still thought you were going to say Tuesday. I know. He's like, he did right in there. He's like, well, Tuesday was great, but I'd take a Sunday. 